All right, welcome back to season two of the Slay Less Show. Um, this is the first episode, Racism, Capitalism, in the Food Industry. Um, if you've been following me on Instagram at The Slay Less Show, I've been doing a capitalism countdown where I've been detailing all the different ways that capitalism affects us in various avenues of our lives, uh, affects different industries. In particular, I really want to talk about the food industry because I have such an intimate relationship with that industry. Worked there for roughly six and a half years. Um, and the way that money works in that industry and the way that money is perceived is unlike any other type of job. So today I have a special guest here with me. Her name is Jasmine Dixon. You can go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Jasmine Dixon. I am the owner and head chef at Dixon's Catering and Meal Prep. That's D-I-X-S-O-N, Catering and Meal Prep. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, as I said, at Dixon's Catering and Meal Prep. I have been working in the food service industry since 2011. I have worked up from a server, found my love for the industry, and started my own catering business. And I also manage a retail dining location currently. All right. Awesome. So let's go ahead and kick off the first question. Uh, you kind of already told us how you began your journey in the food industry. Um, but can you detail some of your personal experiences in this line of work? And can you tell us if your experience was long or short or if it was positive or negative or if it was somewhere in between? Just elaborate as much as you feel the need to. Yes, uh, I began in residential dining at Kerr Hall, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably have eaten there at some point or another, spent a lot of time. Um, it is the largest dining hall at the University of North Texas. Yes, it is. I remember Kerr. <laughs> yes. Um, it's open till 2 a.m. Um, it used to be open until 3 a.m. at some point, but, you know, college kids, you know how that shit goes. Yeah. Um, I then went on to a different cafeteria, Bruce Hall, and later on went to Champs, then went on to residential dining, I'm sorry, and or retail dining, I'm sorry, and started my career more so there. Um, to say whether my experience was positive or negative, um, it, as you said, if I would have to choose, it would be more so negative than positive, definitely. Um, and to say whether it was long or short, it's definitely something that is going to be long-term. As I said, I started my own catering business. Yeah, it's like your career at this point. Right. It's amazing. Right. Very amazing. Okay. Um, my journey in the food industry uh, began before I got to college. Um, I say six and a half years. I college just count from my freshman year of college up. But my first job actually was in fast food, working for Wendy's. Um, I went on to Taco Bell after that, uh, CC's Pizza. I've worked at virtually <laughs> every fast food restaurant that you can think of. And then when I got to college, I started serving um, at a variety of different Tex-Mex restaurants. I don't know why I always ended up at Tex-Mex restaurants. Interesting. Uh, probably because I just love Tex-Mex and I was like, I can get this discount on this food. My ass was definitely broke in college. Um, but I started doing that. I worked my way up to a bartender. Uh, I also was a cocktail waitress for a catering company. I also worked, um, where else did I work? I feel like I'm forgetting a place. Ah, uh, maybe that's about it. I said bartending. I bartended a bunch of different places. Um, but my experience was definitely long. It was the primary way that I earned money literally for like six and a half years. That was how I made, uh, paid my bills. And I, I had big girl bills at a young age. So I was like, Sorry. I was out there hustling, trying to get, the, you know, the bag as best way I could. Um, it was definitely not the best experience. Um, and, and we'll touch base on this a little bit later, but I experienced a lot of sexual harassment as a waitress, especially as a bartender. Um, I experienced a lot of racism also in the service industry. I don't think people really think about that. 
I think when people think of racism, they think of tipping, and we're also going to talk about that later. But um, I don't think that they really understand that when you're a black female server and you're at a, in an establishment and you're serving the majority of the people that you're in contact with every day are not like you. They don't the look same. like you. They don't come from the same background. You definitely experience a ton of different microaggressions that you wouldn't probably experience in any other line of work. Absolutely. And especially because like the relationship between the server and the customer is such an intimate relationship. Like I'm bringing you your food. Like I'm literally like, you know, I'm a server. I'm not a servant, but in your mind, that That's is how you perceive is. me. That's right. what correlated to. Absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and move into um, the second question. So before we do that, um, I found this article on Mother Jones. Is it motherjones.org or motherjones.com? And it was giving some background information about uh, serving in ser the food service industry. And it's overwhelmingly white and male, which um, I think would account for some of the different things we've probably both experienced working in this line of work. 56% um, <laughs> of servers that are non-white report making considerably lower wages than their white counterparts. Um, the federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, but most restaurants are only paying their servers two thirteen because of a law or a clause that pretty much says they only have to pay you that much because you're going to make up the difference in tips. Not, you know, guaranteeing that you're actually going to get tips because you that could. happens. You could possibly get it, maybe, if somebody else feels like it. Yes, absolutely. So your wage is pretty much at uh, the mercy of someone else and how they may perceive you, may have, they may, how, they, you know, how they may feel about you. And for me personally, when I was working in the food industry, I felt like uh, my white customers always felt like I had an attitude. And I'm like, I'm just here doing my job. Like I'm, you know, like I'm smiling. Like I don't know what the issue is and what how in what way I've affronted you that you would think that I have an attitude that I don't want to be here, that I have a problem serving you. Like this is my job. This is how I make my money, my living. My biggest, um, my most recent well, my most recent position before I left the University of North Texas in March mm -hmm. um, was one of the managers at a Jamba Juice location that is in the union. Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, they have a very particular clientele that comes to that location. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, most of the people that come through the union are students. Mm -hmm. um, there's a very particular type of student that comes there. Um, for whether it's for allergies, whether it's just because they're picky or just because they want this certain shit today because they saw it on a music video. Mm -hmm. um, there have been more often than not times that I have had to have a manager that is lower than me in rank, but of a different color, mm. come and speak to someone because they felt like I didn't mm. have enough experience to talk to them about something. Mm. On multiple occasions. Mm. Um, that's, you know, that's really pathetic. Uh, that's not surprising to me because I feel like black women experience that type of aggression and that type of, um, that type of situation in almost every, you know, job that we're in. Black women, I feel, have assumed leadership roles in so many different areas and elements over the past 20 or 30 years, especially because I feel black women at this point we're probably one of the most educated demographics in the country. Like there are statistics that will show you this and we are being promoted, but I don't know how much of a difference, I won't say difference, I don't know how much, what are the words I'm looking for? I don't know how much of a difference it's gonna make if 
the people that we're inter- interacting with don't perceive us as leaders or perceive us as people that are worthy of, and that's you know, thing. being in that position. I think that our skin color to a lot of people mm-hmm. um, deems us ineligible for that that education, even mm-hmm. no matter how educated we are, no matter how much more experience that we have. Mm-hmm. As soon as somebody sees what we look like, it's out the door. We're already made null and void. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I can absolutely speak to is um, that the industry is male and white. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially leadership in the industry. And that's exactly yeah. where I was going. Um, of all of the managers that I have had over the many years and different stores I've visited, different locations, different this and this and that, black women, very mm-hmm. few, if if that. Yeah. Um, in my re- in in my current position where I manage, um, there's two different black women in my entire area mm-hmm. that manage 120 stores. Wow. 120. Wow. Um, I think that's crazy. I think that I think that's wild. I think that is too. Um, well, I mean, we've kind of already spoken about this, but let's let's dive into this a little bit more. So, moving on to question two. So, what are some of the readily recognizable issues with race in the food industry? For one, we've already talked about how the food industry is overwhelmingly white and male. Um, but I like this question because I think it also implies there are other race issues within the food industry that aren't as readily recognizable to people who don't work in this particular industry. Like in conversations I've had with people, um, I will say this, people are very ignorant about how foods and service, how that industry actually works. Like they really have no idea. Like (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I was working in various restaurants. um, And I, I won't say that, I honestly feel like tipping is an issue because I feel like a lot of people don't actually know how to tip. I think, number one, that's the biggest thing. People mm-hmm. don't know how to tip. They literally have no idea, like you said, what the process is, how many people have to split a t- one tip on one a tip, table. Right. And realizing that if they only make $2.13 and they split a... If if you have one, rait- one waitress and that waitress has to split it with all the other waiters and waitresses, plus a busboy plus a hostess bartender plus a bartender mm-hmm. it's 15 people and you just gave somebody five dollars on a on a twenty dollar tip mm-hmm. on, a, on a twenty dollar tab and you mm-hmm. would think five dollars is you know that's that's a de- you know you would think oh that's a decent tip mm-hmm. you know they didn't really have to bring a lot of food out to me when they split that that's 10 cents mm-hmm. they um yeah because a lot of people I don't think realize that if and even if you don't like if you get a tab and this is I think tipping is probably like the number one issue for me that deals with race in the food industry because there are so many conceptions or misconceptions about black people not tipping, so on and so forth. And I don't think people understand that when you have a tab and you don't tip me on the tab, like no matter what, you know, especially if you have a large tab, because this has happened to me in the course of the six and a half years that I worked in casual dining, bartending. I've had like large, large tabs where people would pay the tab, but they wouldn't tip me. And so I don't think people understand that when you work for a restaurant, the tip does not go directly to you. You tip out to everybody working in that bitch. And then also, if you don't tip me, I still have to tip out a percentage of whatever you spent. So technically, I just pay part of what you just ate. I pay part of your tab for I you. paid your tab. And that's, like I said, I think that's the biggest thing is that people literally have no idea what goes into a tip and what is supposed to come out of a tip. Feed people's families. 
pay for people's school, mm-hmm. all these other things. People literally have no idea what their tip, like you said, it's not coming just to me. It's not only coming to me. The restaurant is getting the major- getting all of this money. Mm-hmm. Off, you know, you're just your plain tab. So, mm-hmm. like you said, I really feel like that's the biggest issue, educating people on what it what this tip is going to. I make make it a point. I mean, even if my service is horrible, I always leave a good tip. But don't get me wrong, I will definitely have a conversation with my server. I'm I will not unless it's just really that serious, unless I feel like I'm about to have to fight somebody. Yeah. Um, I will have a conversation with you and let you know. This mm-hmm. is what I feel like you did wrong. This is what I feel like you need to fix. And I'll let you know. I'm not going to call a manager because the manager is really not going to do anything. They're going to reprimand you and, and leave the situation. Mm-hmm. If I let you know, maybe you'll take it to heart. Maybe you'll realize, you know, I know that you have to split this tip with other people. So I'm not going to sell all these other people in this whole restaurant short mm-hmm. because you fucked up. Right. I actually, I feel the same way. Um, I think that I've been out several times with people and like with friends who have never touched the food service industry and they'll be like, well, I'm not tipping because the service was terrible. And while I do, I understand the frustration because I worked in the service industry so long. I'm like, you know, if you don't tip this person, to me, it just seems so heartless to deny somebody their wage. And this is what they're doing. And especially we talked about this prior to starting with the recording, but Serving and working in the food industry in any capacity is hard. That is like you're on your feet. That is like it's labor, like you're laboring. And then most servers, when I was serving, we were serving, um, we would work split shifts. We would be there all morning. We'd have like maybe an hour or two hour break, maybe sometimes. Sometimes we'd we'd work straight through and we'd come back and work from like maybe four to like 10 or 11. So you're working literally- Service oh, industry dang. shifts are 10, 12. They're mm-hmm. labor intensive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're picking up, picking up a, carrying out people's food with 10 different plates on it. Hot plates. Hot ass plates. Yes. A tray with five, six, depending on how many plates you can get on there. Mm-hmm. Heavy as fuck. You can barely hold it up. I see, I've, it's crazy. In the past few weeks, I've seen three different waitresses drop huge trays of food. And mm-hmm. I just felt like, just felt for them. Like, people are laughing. People are making fun of them. So many people have to clean up after that mess. Somebody has to clean it up. Somebody's upset. The cook has to recook that shit, and they're going to be fucking pissed that they have to redo what they had to do when they're in the back sweating, mm-hmm. like, making just as little, you know what I'm saying, making just as little if that, like I said, working a 10, 12, sometimes 14-hour shift depending upon where they're at. Yes. Um, I think a lot of people don't think about. I, also, I'll say this, uh, just to kind of like go back to this question about things that people don't know about restaurants. There are definitely race dynamics in play in restaurants, and there are definitely dynamics, relationship dynamics that affect your service. Um, particularly, I wanted to talk about this. I remember a few years ago when I first started teaching um I teach in Pleasant Grove and almost all of my students are Latino, Latino. I te- actually, I teach all boys. So all my, like almost, I would say 85 or 90% of my students are the children of Mexican immigrants mm-hmm. or they're immigrants themselves. And so I remember um, the day without an immigrant happened and restaurants all over Dallas couldn't function anymore. They shut down, mm-hmm. like they shut all the way down. And I don't think people realize that, you know, you love to go out and eat, you love to go do this, but do you know who's making your food? The same people that you don't want in this country. That, the you're, same not, people. that yeah. you're not here for, all yes. those people. And that's what's so crazy to me about all of that is 
all the people that do everything for you, Mm -hmm. cook your food, wash your dishes, mow your lawn, teach your kids, Mm -hmm. raise your kids, Mm -hmm. clean up your house. Mm -hmm. The stuff that you couldn't function on a day-to-day basis without. The the things that you literally not just can do, but refuse to do yourself. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that you dislike the most. Those are the people that you don't want here. That's ridiculous to me. It's crazy. That is. I think that also speaks like we're talking about capitalism. We're talking about wage earning. They also, I feel like cooks in a restaurant, they do the hardest work and get paid the least. Less than anybody Get paid the least. Because what do you go to a restaurant for? You don't, I mean, you go for the ambiance. You go for like the service, but you go for the food. At the end of the day, you're there to do what? Eat. To eat. Eat. Get a drink. Something that is going to require someone in the back to actually make this happen for you. Put this together for you. And so that's how I worked my way up. Most of the time, um, so at the University of North Texas, you start out as a student server, um, then you move up to a student supervisor. After that, there is literally no other position. Wow. There's no other position because, to be quite honest, the student supervisor position isn't a real position. Okay. Um, <laughs> how often do they promote people to that position? They used to do it more more often, um, 2011, 2012. They used to do it more often. Now they very rarely do it. I promise you, you can walk in any cafeteria mm-hmm. and ask who the student supervisor is. They're going to have literally no idea what you're even fucking talking about. That's correct. That's crazy. You start at minimum wage and they pay 10 cents over minimum wage. And that's how they sell it to all students. Wow. Oh, well, we pay 10 cents more than McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bueno. So, you know, and we're on campus and we work with your schedule. So, you know, this is great. Mm. Mind you, throughout my entire dining services with the University of North Texas from 2011 mm-hmm. to 2018, I, I've i never been sent on a break by my boss. Not one time. Wow. Not once. Wow. My... Second or third year when I became a student supervisor, I worked around my ca- around my class schedule. I worked 40, 50, 60 hours a week. God. The hour limitation was the hour limitation was 25 hours for the week. For the week. What? I'm working 50 or 60 hours. How are they getting away with this shit? They're getting away with it because the, because nobody's monitoring them. I don't uh. know who the auditors are. I don't know who these people are that are doing this. They're not. They're mm-hmm. not checking. Nobody mm-hmm. was checking. But because I was doing my job, plus I was helping doing a full-time person's job, mm-hmm. and because I was managing people, because that's just something that I naturally do, Right. nobody said anything. Mm-hmm. I was making overtime for years. Now, I start, now, at some point, a manager from another cafeteria starts asking me, you know, hey, do you, you know, do you want to work full-time? Like, you're working full-time, you know. Did you the know title, that, the switch of the title. And do that's, you want the title? Yeah. What's important? And I have no, at this point, I have no idea what comes. This is in 2013. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what comes with the title. I'm like, you know, okay, I don't care, whatever, you know. I basically make my own schedule. I come in and out as I please. I'm, you know, this is great for a college student. I can do what I want. I come to work Mm -hmm. as many hours as I want. Nobody's going to tell me shit. Cool. This manager proceeds to tell me, you know, you get 80% off your tuition if you work full time for the university. So you mean to tell me, God damn it, God damn it, God damn it. You mean to tell me you've been doing this shit, he was doing this shit for two years? Excuse me? What? I said, excuse me. Oh my God. Why? I said, That's excuse how they lowball us. That's how they get us. That's how they get you. Without the, so without the title, and then I'm, I'm assuming because this is a full-time position, if you were to move up full-time, I'm hoping and I'm, I'm asking, when you're, when you're given the title of full-time, does that come with health benefits? It does. So you were working. I was doing wow. all these things. During wow. some of this time, I had no insurance. 
mm-hmm. because my mom switched jobs. Mm-hmm. I was over 21. I had no insurance during some of this time period. I So now, mind you, at the beginning, I didn't 80% get, off of tuition. That's- 80% off tuition. Working for the university is a state job. Mm-hmm. So all the benefits, you're literally paying to the same benefits as a teacher. You're paying the TRS and everything. Yes, okay. It's exact, yeah. it's, okay. It, you get the exact same benefits as a teacher. Everyone from the janitor, the lowest level janitor to the president of the university, everybody gets those benefits if you work over 40 hours, if you average over 40 hours a week. Okay. So my beginning of my journey to get this full-time position began in 2013. I didn't get that position until 2015. I had every raise that I was given was given because someone else contacted HR. Mm. After I had a contact with this manager, this manager anonymously reported to HR that I had all these hours. Now, for this person to report it, mind you, HR sees how many hours that I'm working. Mm -hmm. There's no way that nobody knew that I'm not getting paid 20 or 30 hours of overtime Mm. every check. Mm. There's no way. I know that they see this, mm-hmm. but they don't care. They're not worried about it. The amount of my checks were so I was getting paid like, like four hundred dollars, four hundred dollar checks for two weeks, and I was, you know, lit. Like, okay. And that, back then, that was that's a, that's money. That was money. Like, four hundred dollars every two weeks. That's you know, that's a licking. Eight hundred dollars a month. Yeah, I, that's a know, lick in college. I was, I was really feeling myself. Like, yeah, I had no complaints. That's why. And okay, so <laughs> oh my god, I began. You know, my journey, as I said, in 2013, asking questions, asking people, once this person let me know. So then they give me a raise to a, not a full-time position, but they take me out, even though I'm enrolled in school, they take me out of the system and put me in the system as a non-student hourly position, which makes a dollar more, but this is still an hourly position. Mm. I don't get any benefits. I don't get my tuition discount. Mm. They tell me, well... You know, we don't think you're ready. We're not really sure if you can handle the responsibility. And you've been doing this job pretty much for like Th- four, three and, right? and a half. Severely years. discounted price for three and a half years at this point. At this point, I take on the position. I say, you know, okay, whatever. Really, to be honest, first of all, I know it was because I was black. I was black. Mm-hmm. I knew that they felt like she knows too many people. She talks to too many people. She's a kid. She can't handle it. She can't handle the responsibility. She's not going to show up. When, mind you, I got so many overtime hours that they had to make you give me this position mm. consistently. Like I said, it's not if you work it one week. You have to average this over 40 hours oh to be God. even entertained by this position. I go on to um, this position. I work it for almost two years. I apply for multiple full-time positions and am told multiple times, you're not ready. You're not ready. Then a dishwasher position opens up. Hmm. God knows I don't want nothing to do with no damn dishes. Right. Not shit. Right. I apply for the position. My boss, who was a black woman, oh, who, who knew the entire situation, Says, okay, well, we'll give you the position, and but you can really work this other position. This full-time position, the position that a full-time person previously worked in. Mm-hmm. But you're going to work this position. We're just going to say that you work this position. Kind of trying to help me out, but not really. Right. Her, I, and our director, who's still a director there, yeah, Peter, we go over it. And he says, okay, everything's cool. We just need to finish up the paperwork. This is in the summer of 2014. Okay. 
okay, football's a really busy time. We all have to do this, 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 that, and the third. As soon as football gets over, we're going to finish up the paperwork. Mind you, this is a director mm. of residential doc. This was my, and, and, and I know this. Cover your ass. You need to write everything in writing. I know uh, that. I knew that. I knew that. Yeah, okay. Football gets over. Nobody says anything about this position, finalizing, putting me in the system. I asked her, I asked my manager about it. She's like, oh, well, you have to ask Peter about that. I'm not really too sure. She's obviously playing me to the left, like, bitch, you don't got the position, but I'm trying to tell you, but I'm not telling you straight up. Mm. So I call this man. I go to his office. Like I said, other managers are trying to help me. Like, they know, they see all the shit that I'm doing all the time. They know I'm hustling. They know I'm working. They're trying to help me. Other managers offered to take me into their cafeterias as a full-time employee because they know how hard I work. They know it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Finally, I catch him, and he says, oh, well, actually, we don't have the funds for that position anymore. And What? This is in January. (sighs) This is in January of 2015. We don't have the funds for this position anymore. Um, you know, we should have gotten something in writing so that we can make sure that it got finalized. Are you not the director? Is that not your job? You don't do shit. Oh my god. So I'm pissed. And no, rightfully so. I'm what the pissed. Fuck? And I'm thinking like, I really want to quit my job. I really want to quit my job. But I'm I've always had a job, so I'm not used to not having money. So I'm just like. I can't process like that is no a trap. Income. Feel, yeah, that's. A, I mean, yeah, I couldn't. I could not work in college. I could. I needed my ends. I need. I have to I have, to have it. it. I have to get it. Yes. So I said, okay, I'm just gonna keep on. I'm gonna look for some other jobs. I'm not gonna worry about it. I'm not gonna stress myself. I'm stressing. I'm still stressing. Mm-hmm. Um, I started applying. The new union opens this that previous fall. I started applying for supervisor positions in the union. A manager at Jamba Juice who was not connected to anybody else, calls me. She's like, I see you work here. You already work here? Cool. We can interview. The process to change somebody over is so simple. It's literally a click to change you over. The problem with promoting people in UNT, one of the problems is that it's like the streets. Everybody knows each other. Everybody's been working there a long time. Nobody wants to put their neck out too far for anybody because they don't want somebody to come step on it while they're trying to help somebody else. Right. They don't want to put themselves at risk, so they don't say anything. Right. This woman doesn't know anybody. She's brand new to the union when it opens, so she doesn't give a fuck. She's just hiring people just to hire people. She calls me for my interview. I go in, I have the interview with her. She calls me back and she's like, you know, I want you. Like, I want you to come over here. There, like, there's no gap in between time. You can literally go from one position to the next. Right. She says, I just have to clear it with your manager and oh, your director. God. So I was off that day. Mm-hmm. And one of my coworkers called me and tells me he overhears the director and my manager saying, my the director saying, well, you don't want to tell my manager, you don't want to give her a full-time position. You can't keep her here. She was literally telling this, this other person trying to hire me that I wasn't available. What? Not that I wasn't qualified, not that I wasn't good enough, but that I wasn't available and that she didn't want to let me go. Because I was working all those fucking hours as a non- student hourly person. Number one, when I was in school, so you're lying. You're mm-hmm. just lying. Number two, I'm working full-time hours. At this point, I've been doing it for four years. Without getting compensated for it. Without getting any type of compensation, without the benefits, without the insurance. At this point, I haven't had insurance for like two years. Oh my gosh. Paying $700 on my taxes. The Paying penalty in. fee. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. When I go do my taxes. Oh, yeah, I'm for paying, insurance. What the fuck? Oh, So my I'm gosh. paying 700, a $700 penalty fee during this time. Oh, my God. Because I have no insurance. So my director basically said, you have to let her go. You have to give the push. So they let me go. They let me go over to the union. I'm like, okay, great. This is a fresh new start. I don't mm-hmm. know these people. A lot of these managers are new because of this new union, blase, blase. So the union, when they're hiring the managers, they're bringing them from outside of the school system. Is that is that what I'm understanding? They're bringing some of them. Some of from them. From outside. Okay. Um, some people they pulled from residential dining. Some of them are people who had been working in the union, but they worked in the like the pavilion that they okay. built up. I got you. Uh, meanwhile, while the union was closed. Right. Um, I'm just glad to be gone. I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> I made it. I made it out of residential. Yeah. I'm into retail. I got my full-time position. This should be no problem. I should be moving up. I have all this experience. And not just any experience. Experience sp- specific to this community. Mm-hmm. Specific to these people. Um, Little did I know the hardest part of my journey in UNT was coming. Um, oh, Lord. Again, I applied for raise after raise after raise, applied, 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 was never given one raise that was not instituted by HR. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the raises, or not necessarily raises, promotions have to go through the retail dining director. Mm-hmm. The previous retail dining director, her name is Kim Schroeder. Y'all should go find her on Facebook and oh. hit her up. Oh, my goodness. Um, she, from the beginning... When I was hired, I knew that she had an issue with me. And mm-hmm. I knew that she had been working there for a long time. I knew that it was from whatever issue that people had with me being too young and not thinking I had the experience or that I was responsible enough to be a manager. Right. She's constantly asking me, oh, when do you work? Oh, when are you supposed to be here? Oh, were you supposed to be here 15 minutes ago? Constantly checking on my schedule. Constantly like micromanaging the fuck out of you. Micromanaging the fuck out of me when I'm three levels below her. When yeah. it's three other different people that are supposed to be managing me in between you. Yeah. Why are you constantly asking me shit? Why are you constantly asking people about me? What's yeah. your, what is the issue? What's yeah. the problem? And the summer of 2016, um, while I'm helping a customer with the other manager of the Jump Juice, mm-hmm. um, she comes to me in front of these people. And customers are online. When are you going to fix your hair and make it flat and straight so it's appropriate for work? <laughs> I almost lost my fucking mind. You know, this is my thing about this. And like, I'm like, you know, where? Because first off, the fact that, and this, this is this, this is the shit, is that we're having this, we're sitting here recording this conversation, having this conversation pretty intimately. This shit happens all the fucking time. And I'm like, you know, the fact, first of all. That you she, she could come to you and even have the audacity to ask you that. And then not even that, just taking into account all of your prior experiences working in the food service industry, specifically at UNT, working for four years without being compensated for your work. And then the nerve of this bitch to come and ask you about your fucking hair. When you've been doing and how long have you been working at Jamba Juice at this point? Managing? Six months. Six months. Six months. You and I've been at this job for six months. Like, why do you feel that it's okay to ask me? I haven't changed my hair in six months to make it palatable for you. So why the fuck would I change it now? And like, what 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 do you hope to gain from this conversation? Like, these are questions that I, I would like to ask 
our white coworkers and our white managers who come at us sideways. And I'm like, you realize like I can sue your ass. This is discrimination. This is discrimination. And this is a thing and this is the problem. And I will say this today, I said it then, I'll say it now. The University of North Texas Dining Department is the most, the most unprofessional job I have ever had in my fucking life. I worked at a snow cone shop where there was <laughs> there was not a register where we took cash and made change on our own. Before wow. iPhones were popular with a calculator, before you had a calculate a good calculator on your phone. That is the most unprofessional job I have ever had in my life. It's a trap. Um, wow. It's not a coincidence that the population of employees in that department are black and international students. Those students are the most financially unsupported on campus. Yes, absolutely. There's no question to me. It's not a coincidence that it is the lowest paid department on campus, but they work weekends, holidays, birthdays, through the summer, through the winter, through the storms. When the ice is over, they still expect those students to come in. Wow. They know, they know, not they think, they know that these students have no other financial support. They know that these students don't, aren't, may or may not eat if they don't come to work. They know that these students come to work to get a free meal. Not just to get their check, but to get the free meal. Wow. International students and I, 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 international students have it even worse than black students because most of them don't can't even communicate. Most of them literally cannot even speak English to communicate with the managers. And nobody's bridging that gap. Nobody's figuring that wow. shit out. Nobody's looking at it. Nobody gives a fuck. They literally most they of just the time, expect them to show up to your job. Bye. Cause you're a little bitty, you know, little, little bitty baby ass, ass check. check. For, and, okay, the hour limit for American students is 20, 25 hours. The limit for international students is 20 hours. Because they get their tuition cut in half because mm-hmm. they're in, in school in America, mm-hmm. they feel like, oh, well, that's enough. We're already giving you half our... And I literally, this is what has been told to me. We already give them half of their tuition. How You know, we have to get that money back. That's, they only let them work 20 hours, so they only have to pay them for that much, mu- for you know, that much labor. And, and, to, and to think about that now, like, I don't even, back then, because um, I, I worked, first off, bless, bless UNT, I worked uh, for UNT in um, a capacity of different student jobs. And I don't know, it's something about being black working at UNT. And this is the thing about saying this. Um, I've had people tell me this at every level. I've had people who were deans people who were like, you know, higher up employees in the Office of Orientation and Transition Programs tell me there's something about being Black at UNT. I was at McNair School. I'm the director of the program at that time. said so the same thing. And it's a problem. It is an issue. And then, and then And then to hear you detail literally how they're doing this to Black uh, and international employees and they're getting away with this shit. Like, what the fuck are you supposed to do with 20 hours a week? Make it $7. Where am I going? What am I going to do? What bill am I going what, what bill, what bill can, can you I pay? pay? <laughs> How do you expect a student to pay rent? One one in in the cheapest apartment, and the rent in Denton is skyrocketing. It is. When I first moved to it Denton, is. a one bedroom apartment could be five six hundred dollars. Yeah. a decent apartment. Yeah. Now, you get a you could get a economy one room studio apartment for five hundred and fifty dollars. You can't live off that shit. And then how is somebody supposed to eat? That's or crazy. Anything else? That's ridiculous to me. It's wild. Oh and, my gosh. Um, whenever that director asked me that question, um, I walked off. I really, you know, I thought I was gonna lose my mind again. Mm-hmm. Um, after the situation, I had to clarify to make sure that I didn't mishear that. Mm-hmm. I knew what I heard. I had to clarify with my coworker, who was Mexican. 
I asked her, you know, did she, she said that, right? That's, that's, that's what she said. I went and told other managers. I told other directors. I told damn near everybody in the building. I asked for advice. I, I asked for help. Not one person, not one person in that building did one thing. Wow. Nobody told anybody. Nobody gave me any advice. People told me she didn't mean it like that. So many, no, nothing, literally nothing. You know, I have I have a theory about that. Um, and not that, and this is this is the thing. Just kind of going back to what you said about international students, and then just uh, my experiences working with Hispanic cooks and busboys, and how you know people, especially who are immigrants or who are here. And they're living within this bubble of like, oh, I can't do too much because I'm already, I'm here in America. I'm earning money. I'm earning, you know, a certain level of money that I wouldn't be able to earn in my home country. But I feel like people do get caught in this trap of thinking, I can't speak up. I need my job. I need my money. And like that happens at, you know, in every job and every capacity. But I especially see it heightened in the food industry, especially when you talk about the fact that like, I see people get talked. I see, uh, I've seen cooks get cursed out, called a variety of different names. And, you know, I sat there and I watched this because I'm just like them. I need this job. I need to pay my bills. I can't quit this job at this point because I depend on the money I make from this job for my very survival. And to hear that they're doing students like this, no less. Students. Not only are they doing them like this, mm. nobody cares. Mm. I reported, okay, so I let all these people know. Um, I'm a very compassionate person. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I, at this point, I did not report her to HR. Um, I, you know, tried to talk to people. Nobody really even seemed like they cared. So why would HR care? If all mm-hmm. the, if I'm telling, if I'm letting these other managers and directors know about this situation and they're playing it to the left, why the fuck is anybody else going to care? Mm-hmm. The situation continued. She wrote me up for not flattening my hair, for not flattening my hair under a hat. Managers don't have to wear hats, but I was expected to wear a hat. Mm. When I reported this, I had to go through an entire interview process. They interviewed other people. Um, We go through this whole process, and they found her guilty of discrimination. She was not fired. They say she was demoted. Yeah, so... Speak a little bit. Can you speak about that? Like you say she was demoted. What was your relationship with her after this incident? And like, what, what was that? What was that like? What happened? So they, she was the director of retail dining. Mm-hmm. They demoted her to the assistant director of retail dining. Her pay did not change. The only thing that changed was her title. They moved her to the, um, the other campus, um, the engineering campus at mm-hmm. Discovery Park. Yeah. She was mainly there most of the time, but I still had to have contact with her. Mm-hmm. I even went back to HR and said, hey, she's still going back and forth, asking other people about me, ask, still harassing me and still carrying on. Mm-hmm. They literally told me in writing, well, we moved her, so what else do you want us to do? Wow. Wow. Nothing. She was fired earlier um, this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants to speak about it. I'm sure that it's related to discrimination and they don't want somebody to bring up my situation to sue them. Wow. Um, she said things like, 
told Mexican employees, we're in America, so you should speak English. So what we the, speak like, English. Out of college, you know, this and this is the thing that this is what's so disheartening to me about this is like hearing all this and like, you know, college campuses, and we we know this not to be true, but college campuses are upheld of like this bastion of liberal and accepting, like this liberal and accepting community. But shit like this is going on behind the very people who help the campus operate. Because like thousands of students come to UNT every day. They have to go to the union to get food. Uh, students that live on campus are going through the cafeterias to get food. Like food is like this very critical and essential part to your everyday life. Like it's a necessity, you have to have it. And this is how the people who are providing this necessity to us are getting treated by every the day. higher ups. Every day. And it's like I said, it's not that they, if, if nobody knew and if nobody was saying anything, before I reported her, other people reported her for mm-hmm. the way she was talking to people, the way she disrespected people. Mm-hmm. There was witnesses. There was all kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing as clear-cut as my situation to where she put in writing on my write-up, refuses to flatten hair. Mm-hmm. Ma'am, what, 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 how exactly would you like me to flatten my hair? Are you going to maintain it once I do that? Um, are you going to pay for all that, for me to do all that? Like, it's... Like I said, it's not that nobody knows. That's the worst part. There are so many people that know, and nobody really cares. Like you said, these managers, they are so scared to lose their jobs that they refuse to say anything. I think that's you know, I think that's the trap of capitalism. Like we're we're so dependent on money that we cannot. We feel like money is such a finite resource, and that we we don't have enough of it. We have to guard what we do have. We don't want anybody encroaching upon our opportunities to get money. So we're not going to say anything. We're not going to, you know, go against this system in place that is literally treating people like shit, working people, you know, to the level of exhaustion. Like, I can't imagine you're telling me that you're working upwards of almost 50 or 60 hours going to school full time. And so that is the so that's the next trap. When you work for any, you know, any part of campus at UNT, um, you get 80 percent off your tuition. A lot of departments are very flexible with how you can work that 40 hours within the hours that they're open. Mm -hmm. In dining, they specifically tell you or tell your supervisor, whoever makes your schedule. We don't work around full-time people's schedule, class schedules. So if you want to... (laughs) Like like you have a choice about when your classes are scheduled, the class that you need to graduate. The class that you need to graduate. That is the reason why it took me so long to graduate Mm -hmm. was because they made it a point, made it a point to not allow me to be off on days that I could have been off, not let me get off early when I could have gotten off. Time to study, time to time to to just sit there and look at the wall and fucking rejuvenate. To do anything. Yes. To do anything. They literally made it a point to make my schedule during times that they knew I needed to go to class. Wow. They make it so difficult for you to use that 80% that you can't really do it. Mm-hmm. That you really, they make it almost impossible. Luckily, I had a horrible, terrible ass manager that was over me who took no responsibility. He's still there currently. His name is Mark Lunzer. Y'all can go ahead and find him too. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> you calling niggas out. He was he's a trash ass manager he Mm -hmm. can't delegate he can't handle pressure he literally can't communicate whenever there's a problem he literally goes in his office and hides that Mm -hmm. literally luckily he was my manager so he let me make my schedule for my unit 
So I was able to literally make my schedule around my class schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I was in the recreation department and I had some really flexible ass teachers that the department's really small that mm-hmm. allowed me to go to class during times when it wasn't necessarily my class time mm-hmm. so that I could finish these classes. It was literally an uphill from the time that I started being full time. That's when my education became almost non-existent. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, well, just just hearing this story this is heartbreaking and it's infuriating, too. And like, you know, what's really fucked up is that there's someone just like you who's probably five or six younger is getting taken advantage of the same fucking way. And that's that's the most disgusting part. Like, yeah. that's the most irritating part that I know there's somebody like me during those years that I was working all those 40, 50, 60 hours. I literally worked myself out of school. I flunked out of school. Not because I was out partying or drinking too much, because I was at work all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. I have a great mom. She's there for me. She literally does anything and everything she can for me. Could she financially pay for a whole nother household? No. She mm-hmm. couldn't pay all my bills and pay for her and my brother mm-hmm. her and my brother to live. I had to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. That, it wasn't an option. Yeah. I flunked myself out of school going to work. I think that um, I, I saw that a lot because I, I had a lot of friends working in the service industry when we were in school. And people, I want to say this, I think that, um, in, at least in my experience, people are not going to work in the food industry because it's fun. People are going to work into the food industry because serving, in particular, at that age is marketed to you as a job where you can make more than what you would anywhere else because of tips. What and that totally means, and that's not, that's, I mean, food service industry workers take some, they take home some of the lowest wages in any, across any industry, across any job. They take home some of the lowest pay. And I think that I, I saw like, in particular, I saw like three or four close friends of mine that I worked with throughout those six and a half years who ended up taking like long, they either had to drop out of school or they take, they took like these really long extended breaks because our managers were requiring them to work so much and to work so late. I had a friend, he was on his way to medical school and he told uh, the manager, he's like, you know, this is my last semester. He's like, I really need to be, you know, working on these classes so that I can get into the medical school that I'm trying to go to. And uh, our manager who was an asshole, they ended up firing him. I quit. They fired him two weeks later. (laughs) They ended up firing this man. Um, He wouldn't give him his time off. So he ended up not getting the grade he needed. He ended up having to take that class again. He was supposed to graduate that spring. He ended up having to take that class again that fall because they only offered it like in the actual regular semester of the school year. Delayed his graduation. And he ended up going on to medical school. He ended up doing everything that he said that he wanted to do. But it was the fact that because we were all working so hard and we were working jobs where, you know, a lot of us, weren't getting a lot of financial aid. We didn't we didn't qualify for, you know, the most financial aid. We were working because we had bills to pay. Like myself, uh, when I was in college, I paid, um, I paid everything. Like I didn't have, I didn't have any help. I paid my phone bill, I paid my light bill, paid my rent, paid my car note, my insurance. I had credit cards that, and I took, I got credit cards because I was so fucking broke. I needed some extra, that's a whole you know, nother, some cushion. No, that's a whole, that's nother, a whole nother, nother podcast. Nother, that's a whole nother track. A whole nother one. Um, and it's just interesting to see, like, you know. UNT just got, so, uh, we just sold our um, accounts from Wells Fargo to Chase. So Chase is already on campus selling wow. their credit cards. 
So all the banks are that were at UNT are now Chase banks. There's a Wells Fargo in the union. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if they're going to be able to literally but they probably can. It, mm-hmm. They're probably going to tear the inside of it out and mm-hmm. just make it a Chase now. Wow. Wow. Um the school bank, um, Hire One, mm-hmm. we don't bank with them anymore. Who do y'all do now? Bank Mobile? Um, I don't even I don't even know who they use anymore for financial aid, but we use somebody else. They had um so many fees and so many different things. Like literally they got sued. Hire one did. Hire one did. Wow. For all the fees that they were charging and all the like literally fraudulent things that they were doing to get money from students, like wow. overdraft fees. And then wow. obviously, you know, college students were not paying attention. I know I overdrew my account. I don't really know about how much. So shit just that shit was common, common back then. My account is over like at that time my account was overdrawn probably more often than not. Like Yeah. Yeah, like, absolutely. Especially my hard one account. Should I have no. I had an account get closed because I overdrafted it and I was trying to pay the fucking overdraft back, but every time I still had like stuff coming out of that account. So all those overdraft fees, and it ended up, it was like, I think when they closed the account down, I owed the, I owed that bank like $700. I couldn't pay. I wasn't in any position to pay that money, period. And that's the thing. There should be no way that you should feel the need to, that you have to do that. Mm-hmm. There should You shouldn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. There should be no way that a bank, a bank knows good and well, you can't go there and take out a $700 loan. So why are you going to let somebody's account go over that much. I know. You know, and, and just let just let the fees wreck up. And just let them wreck up. Pay it up. back. Pay it back. And I'm like, ah pay it back. Yeah. And then they put it on your credit and now you have this seven hundred dollar collection. Wow. Mm. The, it's 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 a trap. Okay. I hate to I hate to say that and and I think education is so important. But college is a business. It absolutely it's is. a business and it's not it's a business that's not built for brown people. Mm-hmm. We are not, our family dynamics, our family values are just the way that most brown people's family systems work. When you turn 18, you go to college, you get out of my house. Not necessarily get out of my house, but you move out. These bills are your bills and I have my bills and I can't help you with your bills. I think that speaks to the larger issue of like the fact that I think, uh, because I I hear that critique a lot. And while I do find that it is true, I think that people don't really talk about the fact that a lot of the time, the reason our parents are doing that because they themselves are in good financial positions and like they can't, they're almost, they're happy, they're proud of us. They're happy for us. But now that we're 18, like, okay, well now I can start getting myself together. Not that I can start focusing on myself, but I can't afford to do this for you anymore. So now you have to do it yourself. And they toss you out there Tell you to make it work. Um, but I also think that's it. That's the issue. Again, when we talk about capitalism, that's why a lot of uh, specifically black college students are not able to build wealth. Like there's this joke, um, this running joke that we always say about grad students. Like, you know, when a black person graduates from grad school, you get a dinner or a party. When a white person graduates from grad school, your parents give you a house or uh, buy you some stock. Here's some stock or, you know, here's here are these really valuable assets, these these investments that will help you start building wealth in a way that black and brown students do not get. And that's exactly what I mean when I say our family dynamic, mm-hmm. um, our family values, how it's just set up that way. Um, I can definitely say for the most part, I've seen my mom live from paycheck to paycheck most of my life. Absolutely. I can say um, the same. Yeah. I had on and off mostly off a two-parent household. Mm-hmm. Um, my stepdad, who was totally financially irresponsible my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen my mom pay 
so many bills and she's 50 now. She's like I said, she's about to start her PhD program and she just finished her principal certification program. That's amazing. Congratulations and to her. That's it's, lit. Man, it's 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 that means I have to go do all this stuff now. Go I'm do adding, it. And, but you can now. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like it's literally just showing me like why can you not do this? Why can mm-hmm. you not do that? Mm-hmm. And it's me, her and I both are learning all this financial literacy together, really reading these bank loan um, and just her student loan, reading her student loan yeah. terms now, really reading them. Yeah. Like people don't read that shit and they think, oh my God, this is so long. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to agree, agree, agree. Mm-hmm. You can agree. You before you agree, you can barter. You can change. There's so many things that people will let you do if you just ask them to do it. Mm-hmm. One of my best friends, Mike Jones, um, he is a salesman. He is never scared to ask anybody for anything. Mm-hmm. If he thinks he can barter with you for anything, he will. I mean, sell a comb to a a, a bald woman, honestly. <laughs> From him, I really learned, why Why don't we ask more? Why don't we say, when somebody offers us a loan, when we go to the financial aid office, somebody says, oh, well, I'm going to set you up on this payment plan for $800 every two weeks. When you know you only make $900 every two weeks, you know that you can't live off that $100. Mm-hmm. That's one of the loans that I had. I paid off. Once I got my tuition discount, I realized I don't need to take out all these loans. I can pay for my school out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to be a little broke, mm-hmm. but why do I need to take out all these loans? I'm currently at that position because uh, I am a first semester PhD student and I'm I'm thinking long term now because I want to buy a house. Uh, this apartment I'm about to move into this weekend, I want this to be one of the last ones I have to move into. I'm tired of giving 13 14 up to $1,700 away every month for free. And so I'm just like, you know, I'm getting to that point where I'm like, well, shit, I make enough now. Like if I set aside the money. I can pay two th- two three thousand dollars in a pocket. That's not an issue for me. Like I can, I make enough money now to I can do that if I want to. Do I want to? And will I? <laughs> will and that's what point you have to get to. Will I? Yes, and absolutely. For me, it was just like, why am I gonna keep on doing this? This is no point for me to get this big ass loan when I could just pay this shit out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. Now I'm gonna be a little broke. Now when I went to the financial aid office, they offered me this this payment plan to where I would be. Super broke. Mm-hmm. I mean, have like seventy or eighty dollars. That shit right there. That's and 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 tough. they're and they're te- and you have to submit your pay stubs and all that, and they know for the university, so they know exactly how much I make. It's not a stretch. They're not, you know, I'm letting them know exactly how much money I have, so they can yes, <laughs> let me know. So they offer me this initial payment plan, and I'm just like. Yeah, no, I can't do this. And they're like, oh, actually, well, we have this plan, this plan, and this plan. Had I not said anything? They would have expected you to do it. If you just like, I can't do it and just stopped there, stopped the conversation there, they would have been like, okay, well, bye. And like, you know, you wouldn't have a degree. Like so much things that would not have fallen into place where they should have for you. Exactly. And it's just, there's so much that we don't know that if we just asked, we could know. I mean, just... So much. And because, like you said, our parents weren't as financially smart as they should have been. No matter how much, my mom got me a bank account when I was in 
like middle school, like a little saving account. She put like $5 in it. Mm-hmm. No matter how many, many times she talked to me about it, talked to me about it, talked to me about it. When I went to college, I still overdrew my account. I still wasted money. I still did all these things. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm grown and I can handle my money so much better, me and her just had this conversation. Mom, even though you told me that, you didn't live that life. You weren't really living that life. I said the same thing about my parents. Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, to this day, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that my mom, I grew up, my mom has been disabled since I was nine. So a lot of her financial issues came with uh, medical bills and not being able to work and being like out of work for like literally years at a time because she wasn't physically able to. But uh, I never really saw that from either one of my parents. And that's why I think generationally, it's so important to model, really model what you want your children to do. And like to really put them in a position to actually do that. And so I'm just now at 27 years old, just now starting to be like, okay, pay attention to your credit. Hey, uh, start paying attention to them student loans, start paying the interest on them hoes. So you're not paying, you know, 15,000 extra dollars that you don't need to pay. Mm-hmm. So it, it gets it gets very real. It does. And that's another thing with the student loans. There are so many ways to get out of paying your student loans. So many ways to get out of paying it. Hell yeah. Paying way less than you have to pay. Like you said, though our white counterparts, they know that. Their parents got the cheat codes. Mm-hmm. They give them the cheat codes. They understand how money works. They understand they how it works and how it circulates mm-hmm. and how you pay in and you get out and you pay back in and you pay back in and pay back in. That's my mom. She's on a teacher forgiveness loan. Break. See, that's what I need. I need to actually enter that. Yes. You need to get on it yeah. ASAP. Any person, what people don't realize is you don't have to just be a teacher. Any person that works for the state, I'm on that same plan for mine. Because I paid into TRS, mm-hmm. I can qualify for that same I qualify for that same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I graduated with 325, you're good. Yeah. You can get it. And if you pay on your loans for 10 years, then everything else is let go. Sign me the fuck up, cause 10 years, <laughs> but not even just that. You, my mom, they put her on a plan where she only has to pay two dollars every month. So she has to pay twenty-four dollars. Shit, they're doing what did I do? I'ma stop this because we gotta we didn't veer it off. We're talking about loans, just about capitalism and money, but <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take us back to question number three, because like I'm getting I'm getting like pulled into this conversation. I'm like, yes, this is interesting. I should do a podcast this season about student loans. I think I actually, based off of this conversation, I think I actually am going to do that. Um, Let's move on to question number three. So before I ask the question, um, I wanted to provide the audience with just like a brief overview of tipping and like the history of tipping as it relates to Black people. Um, Tipping in particular for Black people and Black people working in the service industry has a very strong origin uh, in the South. Like when Jim Crow was being put into place after slavery, like post, like well during reconstruction, going up into, uh, you know, the late 1890s into the early 20th century, all the way up into the 1960s, where most of the food service industry, most of the domestic workers are going to be black people. And the reason tipping came into play and that they put the responsibility onto the customer to pay and give them basically like a choice to pay black uh, employees or people who are working, black domestics, we'll call them black mm-hmm. domestics, is that they didn't actually want to pay them minimum wage. So they paid them less, telling the customer, well, you can tip them. You should, and like kind of like putting like this social expectation to place, like you should tip, but if you don't, you know, whatever. Oh, wow. And it's because most of the people who are working in this industry were black people, it really wasn't 
a big deal. Um, so the question I have for you, number three, is that what is your stance on tipping? How do race and gender affect tipping? Are servers of color held to a higher standard than their white coworkers? And do you think that tipping kind of excuses corporations and businesses from paying their staff minimum wage? Are there unfair advantages, disadvantages when a restaurant operates on a tip-based system? It's a lot. It's a, it's, a, lot. It's a big question. Um, yeah. I, my stance on tipping, um, like I said earlier, I make it a point to leave a good tip no matter how my service is. Um, and I have no problem communicating with my server if I am um, unhappy with my food, with my service in general. Mm-hmm. Um, what a, One thing that people get upset with servers all the time um, is the time it takes for their food to get cooked. Like they have any control over that shit. All seven... I'll say eight times out of ten, yeah, it's not the server's fault or her, he or she's problem that your food is taking a long time. Whether the cook is out in the back smoking a blunt, like and didn't pick your order up yet, mm-hmm. or um, the sous chef is out talking to his friends at his table who he invited to his restaurant today and that's why your food's taking a long time most of the time it's not the waiter or the waitress's fault that your food is taking a long time Mm -hmm. that's what I feel like people's biggest problem is um I the tip has to be split with several different people Mm -hmm. and whether if even if you leave a 10 or a 15 dollar tip when that's split between five or six people that's two or three dollars a person Absolutely. Now, on a slow day, they could get this person could only have ten or fifteen tables throughout the day, mm-hmm. and mind you, they only got paid two dollars an hour. Man, for that ten hour shift, so they got twenty dollars plus maybe fifty or sixty dollars. Yeah, and that's one day. And mind you, they would have to go to work for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to try to get what you get throughout your, you know, what I'm saying regular work week. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the tipping side, you need to tip, you need to leave a good tip, no matter what, if you have a problem with your service, I, I'm, I am, I tell people all the time, I have no problem going off on people. I have no problem communicating. (laughs) If you have a problem, you need to say something. If you just leave a bad tip and write something on the receipt, who gives a fuck? Nobody even, you know what I'm saying? I I feel like that's very, uh, passive aggressive and kind of some bullshit because you're not even giving the person who's serving you a chance to correct the shit. You know exactly. What I'm saying? Exactly. If it's a problem, if 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 it's really a problem, you are gonna say something. And if it's not, then that's on you as a grown ass person. If you can't communicate, that's on you. That's not everybody else's issue that you can't speak up. If my food is fucked up, I'm gonna tell you. Right. Um, I'm gonna tell you. Not just because I worked in the service industry, it's because I have some common sense. Mm-hmm. Speak up. Um. Um. What else? How do race and gender affect tipping? And our servers of color held to a higher standard than their white coworkers? So, here's my <laughs> so this 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 is this is this is deep to me. Okay. Um, one thing that I can you know I'm just gonna speak about it firsthand. Um, I'm I'm fat, overweight. You know, um, technically, literally, when I go to the doctor, um, my BMI is way above where it's supposed to be. As a black fat woman, I'm taking L's in a lot of ways when it comes to work. People have made comments about how I'm dressed. People have asked my bosses um, for me to wear a different, not even in a uniform aspect, but wear different things because certain things, they didn't like what I was wearing. Um, That's number one. 
um, there's so many, there's so much tied into that. Mm -hmm. And I'm a manager, so I'm not getting tips. So to be honest with you, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so that's like, you know what, you mad? Usually you go, manager, what well, your salary at manager rate. I'm so you're making the same amount no matter how the day goes, no matter, no matter how what. the wind blows. So I don't give a fuck. And yeah. no, I'm not changing what I'm wearing. I'm not changing my hair. I'm going to get my red braids and red faux locks and blase, blase, blase. <laughs> I, I, I purposefully wear my hair in these red braids when I go to work. I make sure to try to wear my hair in a certain um, color so that people... Don't ask me about my hair color. You don't know what color my hair is. Mm -hmm. You don't know. So don't yeah. ask me about it. Yeah. Period. Um, from another standpoint, from the female male aspect, um, I think that women who serve, black women who serve, are expected to be more sexually attractive. I think that's that's more important than even the service. I will, I, I will agree with that. I'm going to speak to that in a second. Um, I think that a woman, a black woman could have an attitude, but if she has her top unbuttoned to the lowest possible button while her, it's still on her, mm -hmm. it can get ignored. Mm-hmm. Now, while at the same time, another woman would take that totally offensively. So now, then it's a problem. Her husband likes it, and he's the one who's paying, so shit, I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it. Um, males, males, I think not just in the service industry, they're... The expectation of them to be, um, what's the word that that white people use? Rambunctious, um, or boys with the term boys would be boys. Yeah, it's okay for men to be rude. It's okay for men to be stern. It's okay for men to be disrespectful. Point blank, period. period. Like, that's the word. Like really? they get such a pass for that. For whatever like plain they, disrespect, they can say whatever they want, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Now, me as a black woman, as a manager, I have been told more times than not that people think I'm a bitch. And I also don't give a fuck <laughs> because my my employees, the people that work for me, the people that help me, they know that I cut for them no right. matter what. If, right, right, right. if they need something, I'm a. If you your kids need to ride to school, I will go pick your kid. If you if your kids need to ride to school so you can get to work on time, I will leave and go take your kids to school. If you have a car problem, now I don't know shit about cars, but I'll try to find somebody to help you with that situation. Like right. whatever your issue is. Uh, if if I know you're going to work for me, I'm going to work for you. Right. Whether right, right, it's right. at work or your personal life. Absolutely. Um, People can call me a bitch all day. I don't play with people and I don't play with my customers neither. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways that, that people in the service industry and managers more so have to set a standard and have to train people. It's crazy that people don't have the common sense to do things in what you would think is a normal, normal way. Mm -hmm. um, at the place where I currently work, um, the store that I just left and I had to transfer to a different store um, to train some other people, every day, kids are jumping up, white kids, I'm not, white kids, mm -hmm. are jumping up and down on the booths with their feet in the seats. Mm. Nobody's saying anything. Everybody's acting like it's normal. You are not going to do that in my store. Mm -hmm. You are not. People have to sit on these seats. Mm -hmm. You're not going to damage my seat. I had to literally go through with the other managers and type out a script for them to talk to people because they could not, these man, these white managers could not handle that kind of conversation. That type of conversation. Um, yeah, I have so many thoughts about that. I do. You are not going to put your feet on my seats. Mm. I have to train them to do that. At this store, they also let people stay 30, 45. One night I was there, these people stayed almost an hour 
after we close. We are closing. We are about to leave. That shit pisses me the fuck off. If you, and don't get me wrong, because I understand if you come in and you order something right before we're about to leave, it's it's an issue. But if you order and you leave, okay, you know what I'm saying? Or you eat within a timely fashion and get your ass up because you know we're about to fucking close. You see, we got these chairs flipped up on all these other tables. Like, or on this whole section of the restaurant in this small nigga. section. You're not VIP, my nigga. We're trying to go home, bro. Like I said, on that script, I also had to type up a script. Hi, we're closing. Can you make your final orders? Like these people lit, and this restaurant is the place where I work is not a new place. It's very old. Mm hmm. And they have no process for this. Mm-mm, You're not about mm-mm. to sit. And mind you, you're keeping these workers here that you don't want to pay. You're keeping them here, too. They got to stay here if these people are staying here. Uh, I don't think people get that. You know, and this is my thing. is I don't. This, is, this goes back to what we were saying earlier. People don't understand how restaurants function. Like, the kitchen cannot shut down. I cannot clean up out here. The bar... Nobody can really shut down until you get your ass the fuck up out of here. That is a corporate violation. Like that's actually against the that's against like protocol in almost because every single you restaurant. You have to be done. out of here. You have, you have to, to be out of out. here. Like a, you, I can't, I can't do. We can't clean. There are certain chemicals we can't use until your ass leaves. We cannot make this restaurant close and function the way it's supposed to until you leave. I had a restaurant I used to work at. This lady, this bitch, used to come into the restaurant. She would do this at least two or three times a week. We close at ten. She would come in at nine fifty. Oh no. And she would stay till 10.40 fucking 5. Oh, no. And see, on the nights that she wasn't there, I just want to—I want everybody to understand, at the night, the nights that she would not come into that restaurant, and I worked there almost seven days a week, on the nights that she wouldn't come into that restaurant, that restaurant would be closed by 10.15. That's one thing I will say that I, one, one thing I gained from UNT. Um, like I said, they're unprofessional as fuck, so they don't care about how you talk to people. They don't <laughs> give a fuck. Um, while I was working in Champs, that is a mostly, mostly, mostly athletic dorm. Um, I was given the opportunity to be able to let people know, we're closed. Mm-hmm. You cannot sit in here. I'm sorry. I don't want to be a bitch to you. These are college students. I'm sorry. I don't want to be a bitch. But we closed 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Everything, all the food is put up. This is, Can't you know what I'm saying, buffet style. Yeah. This, this is not, you know what I'm saying, cooked to order. This mm-hmm. is buffet style. So we've already flipped the line. So y'all are just sitting here. Y'all should probably get go ahead and go. That we'll be here tomorrow. We open at six a.m. Yeah, like that's that's probably one of my biggest. What like I said, you just like you have to train employees. You have to train your customers to respect you and to respect your staff. If you don't, that's when your staff doesn't respect you. I absolutely believe that. All right, I'm going to dive into this question. So what's my stance on tipping? Um, This question, like I said, was really expansive, so I'll go ahead and just go over it again. So what is the stance on tipping? How do race and gender affect tipping? Are servers of color held to a higher standard than their white coworkers? I'm just going to go ahead and answer that. Yes, yes, they are. Yes, they very much are. Do you think tipping absolves corporations and businesses from paying their staff minimum wage? And are there uh, advantages, disadvantages when a restaurant operates in a tip-based system? So my stance on tipping, let's start there and talk about corporations uh, because we are talking about capitalism and how it functions through with the food industry or through the food industry. Um, I always tip just like you because I worked in this industry for so long and I realized that when you don't get a good tip, you are causing your server to lose money that they otherwise would have made. Especially if you don't tip them shit at all. You're actually making them pay for a portion of your food. So if you didn't know that, now you do. I don't give a fuck what the case is. Tip your server. 
Um, and, and even like, unless it's an extreme case and somebody like your server is like, you know, saying some like real, real off the wall, really oppressed, like really just offensive shit to you, then there's always an exception to every rule. But other than that, you should be tipping your servers. Um, do I think that corporations, do I think that there needs to be a system? Like, I think culturally there needs to be a, a calling for corporations and restaurants to pay servers an hourly wage to where they're not having to depend on tips. Like you should be guaranteed a certain amount, not two thirteen. Like I mean, at least minimum wage, at if least. not more, and tips because of how labor intensive the and food service industry is. Exactly. And then do race and gender affect tipping? Absolutely, yes. I mean, there's plenty of proof that will show you. And just in my own personal experiences, I remember I would go into work and like I made two hundred dollars last time. I'm like, nigga, I made eighty. What the fuck? Like, and I'm I'm literally the same demographic of customers you're dealing with, giving them the same level of service. I'm out there. I'm not the most, I'm not the friendliest person. I've been told that I don't look very friendly. It's probably true. But damn it, when I'm at work, my ass, there's a smile on my face because I'm here to make this money and take my ass home. And I remember distinctly in almost every single job I've worked in the food service industry, when I compare what I was making on a day-to-day basis compared to my white coworkers, I was making considerably less. I mean, it's just true. Statistics will tell you that 50%, 56% of non-white food service industry workers report making less than their white coworkers. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Um, are servers held to a high? I already said yes to that one. I'm not even going to go over that. Uh, are there unfair advantages, disadvantages when restaurant operates in a tip-based system? I mean, to a certain degree, but then also I think that when you work with a tip-based system, almost every single part of the restaurant, you're working together to ensure that everyone's making money. Like, I need my drinks on time. I need my food on time. Like, I'm going to go out there. Your job is to provide the food. Your job is to provide the alcohol. I provide the ambiance. I provide the service. And I think that if tipping works the way that it's supposed to, um, everyone can benefit. But then you do have, you have times where people are not holding up their end of the bargain, but you're still expected to pay that person out. We have busboys um, at one of the restaurants I worked that weren't busting the tables. So you would have like people coming into the restaurant and we couldn't fucking sit them nowhere because all the tables are dirty. But I'm still expected to tip this person out. But now at this point, this person is fucking up my money. And like, I remember it got to the point people were coming in, looking at the restaurant. I'm like, never mind. I don't want to eat here anymore. I'm like, we just lost however much money we were supposed to make because y'all can't keep a level of cleanliness or a standard of cleanliness in the restaurant. And like you said, it's so many moving parts. That's why I think it's kind of just ridiculous to try to depend on the tip-based system because... There are so many people that you have to depend on. So how can you make all these, that whole team, um, you know, peer pressure thing that coaches try to do when they make you, you fuck up. So the whole team has to run thing. Mm-hmm. You can't play with people's money like that. No, you can't, you can't. Especially not in this industry. Especially not in this industry. It just can't, it just can't work like that. This is not a game. This mm-hmm. is people's money. Right. So that's why it's just crazy to me. And not just. You know, it's a team-based thing, so everybody has to get this money. But if such as a so-and-so fuck up, I got to clean it up. And as a server, you have to clean up everybody's fucking mess. Like, everybody's attitude, how long the food takes, my drink is weak, my drink is too strong, my soda's flat. All these things mm-hmm. the server is supposed to be responsible for. Absolutely. When they're communicating with the customer. And they literally have nothing to do with them. I will say directly. I mean, like I said, I think um, I think it's unfortunate how little people really understand about how 
restaurants function because if they did they would realize like when you come in there on your high horse and i i want to talk about this let's just move into this last question can you speak to the large dynamic of the server and customer and how this relationship can often serve as a basis for abuse and mistreatment um i think that people come into restaurants thinking that you're my server you're my servant like, you're gonna do what i say and i'm like no i'm not a maid like that's not that is not what is happening here that's not the dynamic of this relationship but so many people come into spaces that deal in food and they act like that. And that's that's exactly what I was going to say. That's my main point in the whole, you have to train your customer to respect you and to respect your staff. People, when they, the, the places that I manage, when I left Champs Cafeteria, I the before I came, the the management that was there in the daytime, Miss Anita, she 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 was a fucking bitch, but she those kids knew I'm not gonna leave this shit on the table during the day shift because Miss Anita will call our coach and then it's gonna be a problem. Mm-hmm. The manager were there at night, they didn't give a fuck. They didn't not to say they didn't give a fuck. They didn't want to have that conflict. They didn't want to have that conversation. They didn't want to make the coaches upset or they didn't want to make this person upset. Mm-hmm. So they didn't say anything about this huge ass mess that the football team is leaving. No, we're not gonna do that. You're That's gonna crazy. Pick, you're gonna pick this shit up. You literally all you have to do is put this plate in a bucket. Wow. Walk ten feet over here and put this plate in a bucket. When I left, they knew Jasmine's gonna snitch, and it's crazy. It's it's more interesting because these are my peers. These are people that are my age. These are people that I know. I'm telling zero zero. You need to tell them. <laughs> You better tell them, you know, I don't give a fuck. You know, I don't care about arguing with nobody. You know, I don't care about going off on nobody. You need to tell them, y'all need to clean this up or it's going to be a problem. Like your menu is going to get impacted. The more y'all egg this situation on, y'all know better. By the time it was, by the time I left, when football, I came and helped out with football in the fall, everything was fine. Everybody knows you just pick your plate up. No, you said something really interesting that I like, um, that I don't think, because I think it, overall in the food service industry, you have this belief that the customer is always right. And I like what you said about training the customer to treat you and your establishment and the people who are working with and for you for like with respect. And I don't think that is a common enough theme across every avenue of food service in the food industry. I don't think that that's an idea perpetuated enough. And I feel like that's why people feel like they can come into restaurants and fucking talk to you crazy. I remember when I was, um, when I was, shit, I was 18. It was Christmas break of my freshman year of college. And I went home and I asked my manager, my old manager at Taco Bell, if I could work. And this lady came in and there was nothing that worked in this Taco Bell location except for Mexican people and black people. And my manager, Mark, he was Mexican. She came in there and she had this burrito in her uh, hand. And I was off. I was standing there with my best friend at the counter. And she had this burrito in her hand. She's like, and I told you I didn't want any fucking onions in my burrito. She's talking to him. She's talking to the manager of the establishment like this. She's talking to this man like this. Um, you know, this man is, <laughs> he's sitting there. He says, okay. He's like, he's just like, you know, he's taking it all in stride. I'm sitting there getting pissed. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. I was like, I'm off the clock. I start, I turn to my best friend and she says something to me. I start laughing. And this bitch looks at me and was like, shut the fuck up. If they had any white people working here, maybe I wouldn't get my goddamn order. Uh, uh, wrong. She said that to me. And so I was like, I was shocked. I was shocked for all of a split second. And then I was like, you know what? You about to get all of this nigga in me today. I'm, I'm, I'm off, I was I'm all, off, I'm off the motherfucking I was clock, like, so. I was like, who the fuck are you talking to? Yeah, I'm off. I was like, so who, I was like, are you talking? I was like, cause I work here. I was like, ain't nobody back there except for black people, Mexican people. So who the fuck are you talking to? I'm talking to you. And I remember I had my letterman on 
And she was like, uh, I'm going to call your... I'm going to call your high school coach and Go tell him. And, and I said, bitch, call. I don't fucking live here anymore. I said, you call wherever the fuck you want to call. I said, well, what you're not going to do is call up and, come up in here and talk to us like we fucking crazy. So back exactly to what I said. Um, I, I also work for UNT in the ticket office. I have, uh, I, I do all kind of, all kind of, all kind of any job. Man. Um, we have donors who donate tens, twenties, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, regularly and it's not really the ticket office's issue is really an issue with the internet with the school mm-hmm. um we do this whole tickets on your phone system now we scan the tickets at the gate every week there's a problem mm-hmm. um for the last three years since we've been doing it there's been an issue um like i said it's really not the ticket office's issue it's, in, it's an issue with the internet right on a consistent basis i personally I personally, I'm the only black woman that works in the ticket office as an intern at all. Um, I consistently am called to deal with any type of uh, irate customers because they know. Okay, ma'am, if you want to talk like that, I can't help you. If you would like to communicate with me in a respectful way, then I can talk to you and I can help you. I can figure this out. And in my head, I'm thinking, to be honest, I can give you whatever fucking ticket that I want for free. But if you want to act like that, I'm not giving you shit. And I could sit here and act like I'm doing something for the next 15 fucking minutes. And I have and will continue to do so. If you want to act like that, I'm going to act like that. I'm getting paid to do this shit, so by the hour. So I'll sit here. You want to waste time? You want to talk crazy? I'm sorry. I can't have this conversation right now with you, even at whether it's in dining, whether it's in the ticket office. Ma'am, if you would like to speak to me in a respectful manner, then we can have this conversation. If you don't, then we can sit here and... You can waste your own time. You're not getting paid to do this. I am. So I thought that's absolutely true. And I feel like, uh, especially when you consider like identity, like if you're a black woman, especially when you're dealing with customers that are not, I will just say customers that are white. Like I have no issue saying that on this show, like fuck the bullshit. When you have, when you're dealing with customers that are white, are you dealing, having these interactions with white uh, customers? I feel like they almost want to police how you're supposed to talk to them and how, what you can say to them. But they can say whatever the fuck they want to say to you. They can talk to you whatever tone. They can use whatever kind of foul-ass language. And you're expected to sit there and take that. And I think that anytime a black person, especially a black woman, speaks up and is like, no, you're not going to talk to him like that. This is how this conversation is going to function. This is how this conversation is going to go. You're automatically labeled as, you know, uh, she's she's being rude or she's being mean or she's being unprofessional or she's being insubordinate. And I'm like, no, like... If a white if a white server told you this, you you would calm your ass down and you would talk to them like they were a human being. But you don't see me that way. You don't perceive me that way. So you think that exactly. you can come talk to me however you want to. And like I consistently used to tell people, even like when I was working at like Wendy's, I was like, you know, like I'm not gonna deal with this. That was my phrase. I was like, I'm not gonna deal with this. I'm gonna walk away now. You can talk to somebody else. Like I'm not doing it. I'm like not about said, to do this with your ass. I that that's something that I firmly believe in. And that's when I go on interviews, that's something that I speak to whoever's interviewing me about. Mm-hmm. I am not going to be disrespected. That's one thing. And I've always considered myself a really strong person. But like you said, I think I let money just manipulate me and with my job at UNT. I will never be put in a position like that again to where I was taken advantage of, to where I was manipulated, to where they're, I bent over backwards for a couple dollars. No, mm-hmm. no I, I'm not I, doing it. 
I have more experience than most people my age. I have more management experience. I have a degree. I have my own business. Like you can't, you really can't tell me shit. Like you literally are in a position to where if you don't want to work for nobody else ever again, you don't fucking have to. And and that's I'm I'm struggling to let go of my um, corporate jobs because the money. And that's the thing. It's because we like it and we need it. Like, fuck, we I like want, it, we need it. I want to see it every Friday. Oh. With no question. Yes. I want to know it's in my account. One o'clock, I'm checking that account. It's there. Digits. Yes. Every week. Um. So, like I said, the training the customer, like I said, I feel like that builds rapport with your employees. That makes people respect your store. I feel like that's when people can really get to the nitty gritty of why they're here so they can eat good food. Mm-hmm. When everybody respects each other, when there's... You know what I'm saying? Communication between people and all that good stuff. That's that's where it goes. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up now. I think that this was a wonderful first podcast to start season two with. And we covered so much ground. Um, again, this this particular podcast episode deals with racism, capitalism and the food industry and how they all kind of intersect to make the food industry this really complex and interesting industry to be in that can sometimes be oppressive, can sometimes be very rewarding. Um, we had a very expansive conversation. We talked a lot about money, specifically student loans. If you have any, like, if you want to find out the information, just like skip to the middle. <laughs> Cause we definitely went into detail talking about that. But one more time, Jasmine, if you can just tell everybody where they can find you, get in contact with you, um, all your information. Um, my name is Jasmine Dixon. I am the owner and head chef of Dixon's Catering and Meal Prep. That is Dixon, D-I-X-S-O-N. That's D-I-X-S-O-N. People spell my last name wrong my entire life. It has an S. Um, That's Dixon's Catering and Meal Prep. That's on Instagram and Facebook. You can contact me at 214-707-6226. Once again, that's 214-707-6226. I can help you with all your catering, meal prep, dietary needs, all that good stuff. Absolutely. So we will catch you guys again next month. Um, Have a great night and thank you for tuning in. I'm gonna get here and get the rest of my stuff.